0: Hello and welcome to the sixth episode of Selecting the Right Load Movement System, a limited series podcast about choosing the right material handling system. I'm Eddie. And I'm Joshua. This is a podcast about how to move objects in industrial settings. Previously, we've talked about some pretty big and complicated questions related to the selection of a material handling system as we go through a step-by-step process of elimination. Starting with every move system under the sun, and crossing off the ones that won't work for us, question by question. Today, we're taking a break from some of the big,
1: complicated questions we've been asking. Instead, we're going to tackle a couple of simpler, more straightforward questions. Which one do you want to cover first? Let's start with loadability. This refers to how to get the load onto the load system in the first place. Some systems
0: are self-loading, but not all of them are. And some systems you might think are self-loading, maybe aren't. Forklifts. You read my mind. That's exactly where I was going. You might think that the truck just drives up, positions the prongs beneath the load, and lifts, but it isn't always so simple. Often, the load has to be stacked on top of a pallet or skid that the prongs can go through. So how do you get the load on top of that skid? Or maybe the load is just a really weird shape that won't rest flat on the forks. You might have to rig up some kind of external support structure that the fork truck can actually grab onto.
1: Yeah, you kind of have to think about moving heavy loads as a little bit of an engineering problem. And you have to think all the way from the load's point of origin to its final destination. Your chosen move system will handle most of that journey, but there's still that first and then the final step of getting whatever the object is onto and off of the material
0: handling system. Yeah, let me give an example. I don't know if you remember the story I told a couple of episodes back, but there was an electrical substation manufacturer shipping some pre-assembled substation structures across three states. They drove these things by truck, but how did they get the structures onto and off of the trucks in the first place? The answer is cranes. So to make this move, they actually had to use a combination of move systems. There are also times when the load changes as it moves. For
1: example, super large heat exchangers. I'm talking about the industrial ones that can weigh up to 500 tons. Start as one cylinder and have more cylinders added as it moves down the production line. The weight, shape, and center of gravity
0: changes after each workstation. Yes, and you have to ask if the material handling system can accommodate those changes, and will getting the heat exchangers off the move system be harder or different from getting it on in the first place? Yep. So what's the easiest material handling system to load up? That depends on whatever it is you are moving. Let's talk in terms of strengths and weaknesses. Do you want to go first? Sure, let's start alphabetically
1: with air casters. So air casters usually slide under the load and lift it up a few inches as the casters inflate. If the load is unbalanced or has a center of gravity that can shift, individual air casters can automatically inflate or deflate as needed to compensate. That's great because it means air casters are basically self-loading and can handle all kinds of objects. The downside is that air casters only lift up a few inches. So if you need to elevate it more than that, it's going to require
0: some kind of secondary system. If we're going alphabetically, next up would be cranes. Like aircasters, cranes can lift loads of all shapes and configurations, but they have to be attached in some way, like a hoist, to a structurally sound part of the load. So the strength is that cranes can accommodate a huge range of objects to move. But for some loads that might be delicate or especially unwieldy, you might have to create some kind of protective substructure to which the crane can attach. Note also that the attachment may or may not work automatically. In some cases, a worker might have to make the attachment themselves. That introduces some safety risks that we'll take a closer look at in the next episode. But unless you're exceptionally careful, Messing with cranes and ultra-heavy loads is how you end up with crushed fingers, so that could be a downside too. Well, something that won't put fingers at risk are forklifts. Depends on how you're driving the forklift. True enough. Generally speaking, if the load can sit on a pallet or skid, a forklift can lift it up. Better yet, they don't usually require humans to do the loading. Instead, you just drive up and lift. But if the load can't be attached to some kind of platform, fork trucks are actually going to be pretty challenging to use. A transfer
1: cart is kind of in a similar situation. If the load can sit on a skid or a flatbed, transfer carts will be able to move it. That said, it might require a
0: secondary load system to get the load onto the cart to start with. That leaves wheeled casters and push carts. Like air casters and fork trucks, wheeled casters usually slide under the load, But unlike those other options, you might need to find a way to lift the load up. Okay, so I think that covers the loadability question. Next up is how you
1: actually use the system. Some of these move systems are actually pretty complicated to operate, and in some cases even dangerous. So it's advisable and sometimes
0: required to use trained and certified operators. That's right, and we need to be wary of taking shortcuts here. Some equipment can be very dangerous to people and objects in the facility if operated inexpertly. So what system requires the least amount of training to use? Aircasters for one. Here's a crazy story for you. We had a job out in Saudi Arabia of all places moving these massive feed water heaters at a power plant. These things are gigantic, something like 60 feet long and 20 feet tall. They had three operators who had never used aircasters before and none of whom spoke the same native language. All of them were foreign workers from different parts of the world working on this construction project. Training took a couple of hours, and after that, these three guys successfully maneuvered these feed water heaters down a zigzag path that was 200 feet long. Just a couple of hours, and they were moving this massive equipment. Oh, wow, you couldn't do that with cranes or forklifts. Nope, not even close.
1: A crane operator training program is going to take weeks at a minimum. In some cases, you could spend half a year
0: training. Yeah, training for forklifts isn't quite so bad, but it's definitely a lot more training than most other material handling systems. Even conveyors
1: and rails generally don't require a lot of training, at least not to operate.
0: Maintenance is another question. Push systems, like wheeled carts, don't require much training either. Just point them in the direction you want to go and push. I feel like we should
1: reiterate that training time isn't necessarily a bad thing. The reason forklifts and cranes need more expensive training is because of safety issues. They can be complicated and dangerous to operate, and can endanger people if they're operated inexpertly,
0: like you said earlier. Which is exactly what we're going to discuss in the next and last episode of this series, The Question of Safety. I can't believe we're almost at the end. So where should people go to find us to catch that last episode? They can subscribe to this podcast anywhere they normally listen to podcasts, or they can visit our home website at www.aerogo.com. That's ww.a-e-ro-g-o.com. As always,
1: thanks everyone for joining us. See you soon.